You ever had one of those days, uh, maybe, maybe a, you know, a year or two, maybe a week, where it seems like the world is out to get you? Can you, can you relate to that at all? No, I'm alone in that? Okay. Crowd participation this morning. All right, a couple of us, a couple of us can relate to that where we feel like that, or especially when you're trying to do everything right, and, and for all the right reasons, and yet for some reason you just can't get the traction that you're looking for, the response that you're looking for, the situation that you're looking for. Uh, for me, when I think about this, I think about homemade peach ice cream, which, which may sound a, a little strange, and when I, when I think about this, the reason I think about this is because several years ago, my wife is already laughing right now because she knows what I'm about to. I didn't tell her I was going to talk about this, but she knows exactly what's coming. Several years ago, we started this tradition of going camping with some college friends and their families every other year. And one year, and this, is, this has been a few years ago, I, I decided, you know what I'm going to do for everybody? I'm going to make homemade peach ice cream. For, for everybody, it's gonna be amazing. I talked it up, you know, told the kids about it. Everybody was really excited. And when I say homemade peach ice cream, I'm talking about like the nostalgic, delicious stuff that I had as a child that Chick-fil-A's peach milkshake can only slightly kind of give you just a little bit of a, of maybe a taste of what, what it might, might have tasted like. It was, it was just that good. So I bought all the fresh peaches, got all the best ingredients, was there in the camper, you know, started, uh, that we had rented, and I started putting it all together. I mean, I was hand-cutting those peaches. I mean, they were delicious, ripe, fresh. So the mixture was amazing. I mean, it was just incredible. And I got the homemade uh, <clears throat> ice cream maker out, and I cheated. I know I cheated because I plugged it in, you know, to the electricity. <laughs> And I put the mixture in, I had the ice in there, and I was a little frustrated because the local grocery store near a campground didn't have rock salt. And if you ever made homemade ice cream, you know that's important. So the closest I could get was pickling salt. And so I was already kind of little, like, I, you know, not sure how this is gonna go, but we're, we're gonna go for it. So I put it all together and it started churning. And there it goes, whirring in the background, you know, and, and, and time goes by and we're like, all right, it's time for dinner. Like everybody's gonna fix, fix dinner, it's gonna be great. And in the background, the ice cream maker is just churning away and churning and churning. And everybody ate dinner, you know, we were done and cleaned up and, you know, it was still churning. And the mixture was delicious. I mean, it, it was absolutely, absolutely delicious and kept, you know, putting in salt and ice and all, all that, that kind of stuff and it kept churning. And then we had a campfire and did s'mores and hung out and everything and, and it kept churning and churning and churning. You might see where this is going. It got to the point where everybody's kind of looking around and said, you know, it's about time for the kids to go to bed. And uh, it's like, oh, well, you know, they'll be able to have it tomorrow. You know, the adults will eat some a little bit later and the, the kids. And so we all get our kids to get, you know, together and, and in bed and all, all that kind of stuff in their, in their uh, campers. And it kept churning. <clears throat> Eventually it got to the point where I realized, you know, this just, it's just not going to happen. And so what I ended up with could be best described, I guess, as like this sweet cream peach gazpacho. <laughs> and... and and don't get me wrong, I ate it. Like not, like, not all of it, but I, like, I made myself a bowl and got a spoon and I ate some of that because I was going to have some homemade peach ice cream. And my friends, my dear beloved friends, um, you know, have not let me forget that to this day. This happens years ago. Every time we go camping, like, hey, Rob, you going to make peach ice cream? Like, really excited. We go out for ice cream or something like that. Hey, you going to get the peach ice cream? It's like, yeah, thanks. I haven't made homemade ice cream since. 
And I can, I can tell you're super broken up about that for me. Um, it's okay, though. It's all okay, though, because of this final beatitude that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so I can, I can feel good about that because I was trying to do something nice, something kind, something good for, for everybody there. And they're giving me a hard time. And at least I, I tried, you know, even though I fell on my face and flew too close to the sun and failed miserably. If only that was what Jesus was talking about. Because that's something I can handle. Like, I can deal with that. I can deal with getting teased about that. And I think it's hilarious. I deserve to get joked uh, uh, about it because it was a colossal, uh, a colossal failure. Uh, so I can handle that in my own. But when we start talking about what persecution is and what Jesus is talking about, his words here start to carry a whole lot more weight and hold a whole lot more depth than what any of us, I would, I would venture to say, that live in this country uh, know what he's speaking about. And here's the definition we're going to work from. Persecution is systematic hostility. And all of us have been free from that in our lives. The consequences range from marginalization and oppression to death. And so that's, that's what we're talking about. Side note, we're not talking about teased or being challenged or being critiqued. Like that, that doesn't count. Something that we're not, you know, we're, we don't experience here, but it's a reality, as Sarah mentioned, and why we spent time praying and had that emphasis uh, today, this morning, a reality that many Christians across the world uh, uh, experience every day. And I want you to imagine what happens in that scenario. Imagine sharing Jesus. We're called to be disciples of his and share Jesus with the world, spread the gospel, share the good news. I want you to consider what it's like in that kind of a situation. Hey, Jesus died and rose again for our sins so that we might be redeemed to God in the single greatest act of grace, mercy, and love and invites you to be with him, saved from a broken world. What do you say? Oh, and by the way, if you change your life in this way um, and get caught, you could be killed. According to Open Doors and their world watch list that monitors Christian persecution around the world, over 340 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. And this comes from a few different levels. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan have absolutely been experiencing that even long before the events that are popular right now to be on our news cycle have come into light. Authoritarian governments who view Christianity as a threat to power, for example, North Korea has been at the top of the world watch list for the last 20 years because the things that they do to Christians over there are absolutely atrocious and hardly even speakable. But we need to know about it and we need to talk about it. It needs to affect our perspective. There are countries and, and people that have suspicion of anything outside of the majority cultural faith, extremist groups who want to destroy Christians, official and cultural domination of a single religion. For many people to convert from Islam, for example, to Christianity in a place like Afghanistan means at, at, um, at best expulsion from the family, at worst to be tortured and killed. 4,761 4, Christians have been killed for their faith. 4, 000, and, and this is like during the World Watch List period for 2021, 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked, 4,277 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or in, pre in prison. And when we talk about the Beatitudes, and we're talking about blessing, divine favor, happiness, being fortunate, out of all the eight blessings that Jesus talks about, this is the one that is toughest to reconcile between our hearts and our minds. When we run into trouble 
it is the most acute reminder of the fact that this world is broken by sin and that in fact it isn't our home, at least certainly not in its current state the way that God created for it to be. And Jesus identifies this to his disciples very early on. In John chapter 16, he says to his disciples, do you now believe? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will all be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We don't normally sign up for bad things to happen to us. Like if that's a choice, we don't say, you know what, sign me up, that sounds great. I would like for things not to go well in my life. We don't go out of our way for those things to happen. We try to avoid them. We try to plan around them. We try to minimize those things as best we can. We buy insurance for those things. So we mitigate the risk and the harm that will befall us in those, those situations. We work really hard to keep bad things from happening, but Jesus gives us a heads up and says, you know what? as a part of a world that is broken by sin, especially one that sometimes is, is mortally antagonistic against those who follow me, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. And with this final beatitude, he teaches that these troubles that attack the core of who we are as children of God still don't compare to the joy that we share built on so much more than momentary discomfort or suffering. Jesus expounds upon this one more than all the others as well. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and continues on describing what he's talking about. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you may not be aware of this, but so much of the New Testament is written within the context of persecution. Persecution that is happening to the churches that Paul is writing to, uh, that Peter is writing to, persecution that is happening as the church is starting throughout the whole entire book of Acts. We read about persecution constantly in scripture. And so this is a normative kind of background experience for, for Christians, when we read the New Testament, we talk about things like joy and peace and hope and grace and mercy. It's within the context of persecution being a regularly expected thing. It wasn't isol an isolated event. It happened over and over again, and it progressively got worse for many, many years. You see it in the early centuries of the church as it relates to the Roman Empire. If you've ever heard of the Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire, then, then you've heard of a time period in which there was pretty significant Christian persecution. In Roman Empire, you know, Christians, uh, they lived by different moral values than the social and cultural and economic and political structure that surrounded them. Maybe that sounds a little bit familiar. They didn't worship the Roman gods and they would not honor the emperor as a god. This is the character and nature of Christians and how we should behave and act, uh, by the way. They were considered atheists because they only believed in the one true God. Different emperors had varying degrees of feelings toward, the, for, toward Jesus' followers, uh, but they would go through varying degrees of persecution. And Nero was one of the worst. He attacked Christians just to deflect criticism of himself. Uh, you've heard of the famous fire that Nero you know, fiddled uh, as, as, as the world burned. Word on the street is Nero ordered his servants to fire, start the fire to clear the way for his building projects. And the people were ticked at him. And he said, well, the Christians are the ones who did it. 
They became the scapegoat. He made it a crime to believe in Jesus. He denounced believers in Jesus because they weren't like everyone else. He spread rumors about, about them and it paved way for all kinds of persecution on all kinds of different levels. He tortured Christians for spectacle, right? And that's just, that's just one short period of time in human history. And when we look at inside, uh, inside the New Testament with this framework of persecution, it, it, makes, it makes, makes the meaning of what Jesus is teaching, how we're called to live, so much deeper and so much richer. They were living through this. Sometimes it was a full-on assault. Other times there were minor sufferings and everything in between. And as I mentioned before, it's happened throughout history as well. Millions have experienced different degrees of persecution, hostility, harassment, and mistreated because of their faith. And here, here's the thing that Jesus ultimately is teaching with, with this beatitude, something that, that we've got to know and have as a foundation within our belief and faith and trust that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is our savior. Because Jesus is worth following, he's worth following no matter what. If, if Jesus isn't worth following, then he's not worth following no matter what. But because he is, because of who he is, because of what he's done, he is worth following no matter what. That means when things aren't all good, it means when you're going through trying times. And, and I don't wanna minimize or diminish some of the things that we go through, the pain and suffering that we experience, because those are real things and they affect us, they affect our moods, they affect our feelings, they affect our mental health. And, and so I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish that or minimize it, but it should give us perspective in those moments that there's something deeper and much richer at play within our lives than just how we feel in the moment because of what Jesus has done for us for all eternity. He's our only hope out of the mess that we've made of this world, and that includes all of us as human beings. He's the path towards purpose, morality, answers the questions of what happens after all this is over and why it matters. But there's a very important distinction that Jesus gives in this blessing. He doesn't just say, blessed are the persecuted. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And that's the operative term. It means a follower of Jesus is not blessed because of persecution, because of their stupidity or because of their abrasiveness. Maybe that was abrasive to say stupidity. I, I don't know. Or, or not even for, hear me on this, not even for our opinions. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their opinions. That's not, that's not what Jesus says, but because of righteousness. If we are to be persecuted, if we are to experience systemic hostility against our lives and our way of thinking and living, let it be for the righteous goodness of God. Your persecution, you know, it doesn't always mean dying for your faith. Uh, Jesus is talking about being mistreated because of Jesus. And so as you think about your life, as you think about how you live this out, you know, are you mistreated because of your beliefs or is it something else? Is there, is there some other obstacle that's, that's in your life that you're, you're not even getting to the point where you're living out the righteousness of God? Are you mistreated for how you live? Are people talking about you, people insulting you? Are they making things hard for you? Are they make, slandering you? Is it because you're following Jesus? Because if you are, that, that's, a blessing, that, that's a place of blessing in our lives because of the great reward that Jesus bookends this, this teaching on the Beatitudes, both both, it both begins and, it's, it, and it ends with the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, the great reward that we join the company of the many that have been persecuted before us. Because of the temporary nature of our lives and because of the temporary nature of anything that we might experience that, uh, that is less than pleasant this side of heaven, we can rejoice, we can be happy because of what God has done and what he is doing.
the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God is a society in which God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're invited to live in, in it right now. And so we look forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. We look back at the inauguration of it when Jesus came the first time. And now we live in the in-between. And we can be blessed, we can be divinely fortunate, we can be happy, looking forward to the time when Jesus is coming back again. This is our lives today and our our lives then, our eternity, aligning with God's will. And happiness comes when we live within God's will for our lives. So let me just share a couple more scriptures with you that Jesus shares with his disciples that talk about this reality that we might expect. In John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Sometimes this is hard for us, you know, especially I, I want people to like me. I don't know if anybody else is like that. I won't ask you to raise your hands anymore this morning, but I, I want people to like me. And so when that doesn't happen, which happens more often than I would like, right? Because I don't even want one person to not like me. You know, this, this is one of those things, well, what's the reason? What's going on here? Like, is it because of what you're standing for and how you're living your life? Or is it some other thing that you can't control? Like, well, what, what, is, what is happening there? The standard is, is very different because people aren't going to like you because you follow Jesus. That's just the social reality that we have to get used to and expect in this world. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes this. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised. By the way, Peter is writing during the time uh, Nero is emperor. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. I love that Peter adds that. Murderer, thief, or any other kind of criminal or or just a meddler. Like, don't let it be because of that. (laughs) However, I'm glad somebody else enjoyed that and appreciated that. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. This is not what our default is when we come against suffering or we come against people attacking us or, or our character. When people do bad things to me, I want to do bad things back, right? That, that is just this normal thing. I'm like, you did this to me, I'm going to get you back. Like, that, that's just the, the tit-for-tat way that we, we naturally fall into. When people threaten me, I want to threaten them back. When people are treated unfairly, I want, to, I want them to be treated unfairly. I mean, that's just the way that I, I, my default is. But as a follower of Jesus... I know that that is not the way to blessing in life. Peter says, hey, rejoice, because we're in the same boat with Jesus. What an honor to be associated with him, to be insulted because of him, to be overjoyed, because our minds can't even comprehend the awesomeness of God's glory that we are experiencing now and will experience then, that we're blessed if we're insulted, we're happy if somebody tears us down because of Jesus. And it's because we have the indwelling presence of God within us as followers of Christ. And that we can praise, praise God through all of those things. The greatest blessing that we can have this side of heaven is to be associated with the character and nature of God. To be identified with who God is. 
and somebody looking at us and saying, I don't like that guy because he's like that, that guy in the Bible. Regardless of what happens to us as a result, when that is the case, there's always the opportunity of God's glory being revealed to another, another person. And the joy we share in heaven with that other person together will far outweigh the momentary temporal suffering we experience this side of heaven. And that is the promise. And that is the blessing. And so here's what it means for us practically. Just, just a couple things that it means for us practically. We should expect persecution. Now, I've already said, like, I, anything that we might experience in our country at this, in this state of things is going to pale in comparison. And, and I, I just don't even like I don't even like people talking about Christian persecution in America because it's so far, like, it's just not in the same category. Uh, let, let me just, just say that. And, and so this is different from saying we should go looking for ways of being offended as well, right? Because I, I think that's probably where we are as a society more than anything. It's like somebody has done or said, thing, uh, said something or is a situation that is offensive to me, and therefore you know, my, my faith is, is being persecuted. And that is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about systemic hostility against who we are in Christ. Jesus experienced this, followers throughout history have experienced, experienced that we're grateful for the many freedoms that we do have, but none of those are more important than our character being just like God's. We're, we recognize that we are called to be different if we are living our lives in such a way to fit in with the culture around us or to be on the right side of history, that's, that's not who God has called us, called us to be. Our faith has been on the wrong side of history plenty since the beginning of the world. And that's okay. It's something that we can expect because there's something even better than being looking just like the rest of the, of the culture around us uh, as, part of be, as part of people being in the kingdom of heaven. We're called to think differently, believe differently, love differently, and act differently than everybody else, and to do it just like Jesus. The second thing is this. We aren't looking for revenge. Um, to get caught up in thinking that our response needs to be that we need to gain more power over other people and that we need to establish more control in order to live out our faith is just completely antithetical to being a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so our, our conception of how we respond to persecution is not to, to get back or to get even or become the person who has control over the, other, uh, over the other stuff. We long for things like justice and equality, which are good things and things that God calls us to pursue, just not in a worldly, just not in a worldly way. And we have to get to that place that Jesus becomes, comes before, becomes our everything, becomes the foundation with which we pursue anything like that beyond how the world defines it. Romans 12, verse 21 says, do not, over, do, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And even Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do about those who are crucifying him. It doesn't make sense, but it is a way to blessing in our lives. The third is, is that we count our blessings. That gives such a, such a major perspective shift and boost in our lives when we realize and we categorize and maybe we make a list like spend the next week and identifying 10 different blessings each morning maybe wake up and make a list and say here's here's what is a blessing in my life every day and and see how your week changes 
and how your day shifts because of that perspective. We don't need a tirade on social media. We don't need a picket sign. We don't need a letter to the editor. We count our blessings because we're becoming like Jesus. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. And we can expect that Jesus' promise of being fortunate, happy, divinely favored will be absolutely a fitting part of being disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus is worth following, he's worth following no matter what happens. And if we are to be persecuted, let it be because we are modeling the character and nature of God. And so throughout this sermon series, I've encouraged us all to memorize the Beatitudes because it, it, it talks about you know, who's, who's actually included in the kingdom and who we might think are automatically excluded, you know, it kind of turns things on, on its head. And it also reveals some of the character and nature of who God is and who he calls us to be as we live that out. And so we're gonna, we're gonna try this and we're, we're gonna try to do this. And I have, man, I have been repeating these in my head all morning because I, I just know that th this is one of those moments I've asked you to memorize them. If I don't get them all perfect, you know, then that's gonna be a problem. But that, that's not the point. The point is, is for us to put these these promises into practice in our life and our character and who we are. So let's, let's give it a shot. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the meek, merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. God, right now, as, as we are here um, and we are worshiping together, we are also, also worshiping, and yes, the time zones might be different, but we are also worshiping with brothers and sisters in Christ who um, are in hiding and they recognize that their gathering together as a congregation is, is not just one of those good, you know, boost things that they need for the week, but, it, but it's for survival because they're citizens of a different kingdom and the kingdom that surrounds them is oppressive. And God, we live in that same sort of scenario here in this country as well. It's just harder for us to see because we've grown up in it. That the kingdom of this world that surrounds us is oppressive to citizenship in your kingdom. And God, we ask that, that as we gather together, as we celebrate, as we worship you, we ask that you give us this perspective that we need to see that and to recognize how, how invaluable it is to rest on this promise of blessing that you have, that the kingdom of heaven is, is, is our citizenship. And it's a promise that we've already been afforded, even if we are persecuted because of righteousness. We pray for safety for the persecuted church. We pray for the opportunity to share the gospel. We pray for peace. We pray for, we pray for the leaders of those countries, the people of the communities that are carrying out these atrocities. And we ask that you would change their hearts, that you would save their souls. God, we ask that as, as fellow, fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would recognize that we have more in common with, with those persecuted uh, Christ followers than, than we, might, we might think. And our lives should model the same joy 
and the same peace, the same hope, and the same trust that they show each and every day as they follow, follow you despite the odds, the worldly odds stacked against them. God, we praise you for the opportunity that it affords us to, to gather freely and openly, to be able to support those who cannot. We ask that you show us how we might be more, more bold in our faith, despite maybe the fences or the critiques that we might face that pale in comparison to what, what others deal with around the world. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.